We are going to conclude chapter 1 of 1 Peter tonight. It's an awesome and reverent occasion. So soon, yes, so soon. I know it's gone quickly. So if you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 22 through 25. You'll read these verses with me. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word... That was preached to you. That is such a rich, rich passage, as all of them are. Just by way of review, quickly, from last week, many of you were here. I want to ask you some questions. You have them in your notes. When did we receive the ability to love our brothers? At salvation. And who are we to love? We're to love one another. We're to love the brothers. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't love our neighbor. That doesn't mean that we don't extend our love to those who are not our brothers and sisters. But the focus here in this passage, primarily and fundamentally, is first, we're to love our brothers. Love one another. And how are we to love one another? Deeply from the heart. Fervently, would you agree? Earnestly. And if you recall, we are to love one another more and more and more. True? That's really important. Because sometimes we think, well, I've, I've loved. I love my brother. And we kind of, typically, as human beings, we put a limit on things, don't we? We did our quota. I did my part. And we saw last week a number of passages urged us, exhorted us to love more and more earnestly, deeply from the heart. And the last question we're going to answer tonight, why are we to love? Why are we to love? And since you don't know the answer, I'll give you the answer. We are to love one another this way because it is consistent with our new life and it is consistent with our new nature. It only makes sense that we love this way because this is our nature now to love. We are to live lives of love over and over, more and more. I think I asked you this question last week. Have you ever felt closer to another believer than to an unsaved member of your own family? I think all of us have experienced that. Closer, we feel closer to another believer, another brother or sister in the Lord, than we do even to an unsaved member of our family. And, you know, you, you struggle with that some because maybe there's a, a tinge of guilt over that when you think, well, no, I should love my family more. After all, they're my family. But God has given us a what? A new family, has He not? A new family. And there are many of us who, if I can use this term, cringe at the thought of having to attend family gatherings where those gatherings must be endured rather than enjoyed. Is that true? Thought of going, oh man. I know they're my family and I know how to love them, but the thought of going, I'm just going to endure this. It's like torture sometimes. Rather than what? Just enjoying it. Looking forward to it. That's part of the reality of our experience, is it not? And yet, on the other hand, when we relate as believers, uh, the true Christian, and, and you, you see this is true in your own experience, the true Christian longs 
to fellowship with other believers and, and feels badly when the fellowship begins to come to an end. I, I just want it to last. I don't want it to come to an end. I'm enjoying myself and I'm enjoying you so much. That's why I could do this all night here. I just enjoy being with you all night. And I know you do also. Now, what makes the difference? What makes the difference? What's the, the difference between the love that we have for our brothers and the kind of love that we have for those who are not believers? What's the fundamental difference? I believe the difference is that special love that God gives his children one for another. God gives us a love one for another. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. He said, he pours his love into our hearts. How? By the spirit that's given to us. His spirit is given to us. That's how we become his children. And when he gives us his spirit... He pours his love into our hearts. So we love one another, and we love one another profoundly. We have this ability, this capacity to love now, and it's given to us by God himself. If you remember from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he says the fruit of the Spirit is what? It is love. It is love. And so the Spirit in my life gives birth to what? He gives birth to Love, that's right. And so the big difference for us is this marvelous thing called love that God gives to his children. Now there's a, there's a difference between the love that believers have for one another and that which non-believers have. And the Bible says that believers have a love that unbelievers are incapable of. We're talking about a supernatural love. Unbelievers are not capable. You and I, before we became Christians, before we were born again, we were incapable of this kind of love that the Bible speaks to us about and that we are called to show, to demonstrate towards one another. This love is, as we said last week, the highest kind of love. It is the highest kind of love. It is the love of the will. We call that love by the Greek word agape or agape. Agape. That's the highest kind of love. What's the highest kind of love? Agape. Agape. That's the love that God puts into our hearts. And that's the love that we are to love one another with deeply. We're to love the brothers deeply with this kind of love. And it's a love of the will. It's not a love of the emotion. It's not a love of feeling. It's not uh, a love that is, is uh, just sentimental when things are going well and you just kind of love everybody. No. This is a love of the will and it can respond to the command. It can respond to the demand. It can respond to the need at any given moment. Because it's supernatural. It can respond to the need to love even when you don't feel it and even when you don't feel like it. Why? Because you make the decision. You make the decision to love. It's a love, it's a love that decides. It's a love that decides to go the extra mile in seeking to understand one another. I'm making a decision as I interact with you to love you in such a way that I will go whatever length it requires to make sure that I understand. I want to understand your point of view. I want to understand why you say what you say. I want to understand why you think what you think. And it's love that requires me to do that. It's love that enables me to do that rather than just blow you off. It's a love that decides to look beyond the faults of others and to see their need. Not only is it a patient love, it's a kind love. It covers a multitude of sins. Look beyond the faults. I make a decision. I'm making a decision to look beyond your faults and to find the point of needs so we can reach in and meet that need. Or so often... We are focusing on the faults, and we never get past the faults to the point of need. This is the love. You make a decision to do this. 
You move beyond your feelings. You move beyond your emotion. You move beyond your, your sentimentality or lack of sentimentality. And you make a decision to love this way. That's the mark of a Christian. No one else can do this. People are tolerant of each other, but that's not loving. We say, well, all right, I'm going to love you with the love of the Lord. (laughs) That's just another way of saying I'm going to tolerate you. That is not love. So, so important for us to understand this. It's a love that decides to always seek to walk in forgiveness. It decides, I am going to forgive. I'm going to be a forgiving person. I'm going to love so much that I'm going to forgive that wrong. I'm going to forgive that hurt. I'm going to forgive that slight. I'm going to forgive that comment. I'm going to overlook it. It's a love that keeps no record of wrongs. Why? Because that's what I'm deciding to do. It's a decision. It's a decision. It's a love that decides to look for ways to serve others. To look for ways, not to wait to be asked. It's a love that decides. It says, you know, our body needs ushers. Our body needs parking people. Our body needs this. Our body needs that. Our body needs people who will serve. And I'm not serving in any capacity. And I love this body. I love my brothers and sisters. And I'm going to look around until I find a place that I can serve them. I'm not going to wait till I'm asked. You see? You see? It's not self-seeking. It's not a love that's self-seeking. It's a love that seeks, looks for ways to serve others. The brothers. It's a love that decides to desire the best for others. It's a love that decides to desire the best for others. I desire the best for you, Bob. I want to invest in your life. I know what you're going to need. He's going to go to seminary. Isn't that sweet? He just quit his job. He's taken a huge step of faith. He believes God's called him to be a pastor. And so I promised to keep him honest. I told him knowledge puffs up. But I want the best for him. I want the best for him. He's been an earnest servant in this body. He's been a faithful man. He's been committed to growing and maturing and committed to the call of God. And and, and in my heart, I've decided I want the best for him. I want to encourage him with all my heart. So we look around. we, We want to be able to do that for each other. It's a love that always protects, always trusts, always hopes. It's a love that always perseveres. You never give up wanting The best for others. You persevere. You persevere. Why? Because you're decided to. Because you can. Because you know that God has put his love in you. It's not a matter again of going, well, well, you know, I don't know. I just don't feel it. Don't say that. That does not compute. It's a love that decides. It's a love that decides to long for times of fellowship. Uh, I don't know if I want to go to many church. I don't know if I want to go to church. Uh, No, no, no. My love demands that I go. My love demands that I be with the body. My love demands you make the decision. It's not just, well, I don't feel like going. No. I need to go. I'm part of the body. The body needs me there. I love the body. I'm going to be there. The body loves me. Woo! I'm going. Am I making sense? Beloved, question, question. Is this kind of love evident in your life? Write that question down. Is this kind of love evident in my life? Not all of you think it's significant enough to write it down. Too bad. I think it's significant enough. I love you enough to ask you that question. You're welcome. Is this kind of love evident in your life? 
You say, well, is it really possible? Yes, it is possible to love this way. It is amazingly, incredibly, wonderfully possible to love this way. If you never have, I'm here to tell you tonight, it is possible. And it's possible because of two things. Here's the first thing. We already looked at it. Verse 22, now that you have purified your souls by obeying the truth, now that you've, notice what he says, now that you've purified your souls by obeying the truth, so that, what? Now you can what? Now you can love the brethren. And you can love them with what kind of love? A sincere love. You see the connection there? Loving one another, beloved, and especially loving one another deeply, as Peter instructs us here, from the heart is predicated on the purification of the soul. It's predicated on the purification of the soul. There's a direct relationship between having a pure soul and being able to love one another sincerely. An impure soul, a sinful soul, an unwashed soul, an unredeemed soul, an unsaved soul, an unconverted soul cannot so love. It's impossible. That's why unbelievers are incapable of this love. Because they have an unconverted soul. They have an unwashed soul. Just like, men, just like all of us. At one point, we were like this. We were unconverted. Our soul was polluted. It wasn't pure. There's a direct relationship between a pure soul and an ability to love the brothers sincerely and deeply. So you received the capacity to love. Now stay with me. You received the capacity to love at the time your soul was purified. Say that with me. I received the capacity to love at the time my soul was what? Purified. Absolutely. And when was that purification? When did that purification take place? At salvation. At salvation. At salvation, you are what? You're forgiven. At salvation, you are purified from every sin. Every sin you've ever committed, purified. Washed clean. Your soul now is pure. It's clean. It's completely free from all guilt. It's completely free from all pollution. It's completely free from all corruption. soul is pure. The true believer now stands before God with a pure and a clean soul. Oh, one that is perfect. One that is totally, perfectly acceptable to God and capable of love. And capable of love. God has cleansed our souls from sin, beloved, for the very purpose of loving one another. Why has he cleansed our souls from sin? For the purpose of loving one another. And with a sincere, deep love from the heart. You say, how do you know that I stand before God pure, uncorrupted, because Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation implies a pure soul, totally clean and acceptable to God. No condemnation. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now this purification, he tells us in that same verse, verse 22, this purification was through what? Obeying the truth. It was through obeying the truth. That's another way of saying acceptance of the truth of the proclaimed message or the gospel. I heard it. I accepted it. Isn't that tantamount to obedience to God? Believe. Believe and you shall be saved. Yes, absolutely. So you accepted it. The message of Christ. The message of his death. The message of his resurrection. The message of his salvation. That purification came. Through your obedience to the truth. 
your acceptance of the truth. I believed. Paul says in chapter 1, verse 16 of the book of Romans, a marvelous thing. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He says, because the gospel is the power of God. The gospel has power inherent in it to transform lives, to save people. But there's one qualification. What is it? you got to believe it. you got to believe it. God purifies our soul when we accept, obey, believe the truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? The minute you believed it, and you believe with all your heart, you were saved. When you were saved, your soul was purified. And you were given the capacity to love one another with a sincere love. Isn't that glorious? So, beloved, when in response to the call of God, we sinners hear the truth, we hear the gospel, God calls, we hear, we hear it, and we turn from our sins, we obey the call to believe and to submit. That's when salvation takes place. That's when our purification takes place. When I obey the truth. When I accept the truth. When I believe the truth. And beloved, that's when we receive the capacity now for supernatural what? Love. All right, supernatural love. And so Peter says, in effect, since you have the capacity, do it. Doesn't he? You have the capacity. It's built into you now. You can love the brothers with a sincere love. Do it. And do it deeply from the heart. Okay? Now look at verse 23. Here's the, the second statement he makes in this passage that gives us confidence that we can actually love this way. He says, for you have been what? Born again. For you have been born again. Beloved, you're to love like this because it is consistent with your new life. It's consistent with your new nature. With the outworking of that new life. You have been what? Born again. It's absolutely consistent now with this new nature for you to love. There's no reason not to. Except disobedience, except unwillingness, hardness of heart. When you were born again, it was not with seed, he says, that was perishable. You were born again with seed that was what? Imperishable. This is a marvelous truth. You've been born again by an imperishable, eternal seed which has produced an imperishable and eternal new life. Woo! You have been born again by a seed that is what? Imperishable. It's eternal. It lives forever. It will never die. And it imparts to you a life that will what? Be eternal, imperishable, never die. Do you love that or do you love that? Oh, my. Oh, my. And your loving now, your loving is consistent with your living that new life. You have a supernatural life, and you're to live that supernatural life in what? A supernatural love. Now, some of you are going to sit here and say, oh, good. Now, I can hardly wait for other people to love me. No, 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 no. You, if you're a Christian, you go find somebody else to love. Don't sit around waiting for somebody to love you. Don't sit around with your thumb in your mouth going, poor me, I want someone to love me. Get up off your seat and go Love somebody with a supernatural Decide to. Decide to because you can. And you watch the miracle that happens in your life. You watch the miracle that happens in your life when you decide to love your brother. I promise you. 
How can I promise you that? Because God says it. God says it. No risk. It's a sure thing, Bob. You too will preach this one day. <laughs> Consistent with your new life. You must love like this because it is consistent with your new life. It is consistent with who you are now. You must do it. You can't not do it except out of disobedience. 1 John chapter 3. Everyone, he says, who is born of God loves his brother. Everyone who is born of God loves his brother. Everyone who is born of God experiences the love of God. Would you agree? 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. Look what he says. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and what? Knows God. You're born again. You have this nature. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. Loving God, loving Christ, loving one another are all tied together. Beloved, this is our new life. It's a love life. It's a, you can go up to each other and say, I love you, man. I love you. Remember, being a Christian... Being a Christian is living a new life. Say that with me. Being a Christian is living a new life. I'm a new creature. I'm a new creation. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Paul tells us about this new life. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, that word baptize is not a wet word. It's a dry word. It's not talking about water baptism. It's talking about the Spirit baptizing us into the body of Christ, into unity with Christ, into oneness with Christ, intimacy with Christ, inseparably bound to Christ for all eternity. Somebody say hallelujah. We died with Him. We died with Him. And He says we were buried with Him through that baptism into death. In order that, just as what? Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live what? A new life. If you're a Christian and you aren't living a new life, you're probably not a Christian. Something's wrong. You ought to be living a new life. You ought to be experiencing a new life. You ought to be different. You ought to be just going, God, fill me with your spirit and fill me with your love. I want this kind of life. And I want to live it out. I don't want to be miserable and morbid, depressive, anxious, fearful. Do you? No, of course not. <laughs> Beloved, if you're a Christian, when you were saved, the old you died. The old you died, and you rose in resurrection to live a new life. If you look at verse 6 of Romans chapter 6, he tells us that very, very powerfully. He says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be rendered powerless, that we should no longer be what? Slaves to sin. Oh, man, I'm free. I'm free. I'm new. The old self was crucified. We died and we've risen with Christ to live a new life. A new life. A new life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Familiar verse to many. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. In other words, if anyone's a Christian. Anyone's a Christian. That phrase, in Christ, means you're a Christian. He is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Hallelujah. The old is gone. The new has come. A new life. A new life. Do you understand that you're a new creation in, in Christ? Do you understand? Say that. I'm a new. Turn to your neighbor. I'm a new creation in Christ. Tell them. Now tell them again with conviction. 
Come on, tell them with conviction. I want them to know. I want them to believe it. Tell them the old is dead, the new lives. Tell them a radical change has happened in you. Radical change has happened in me, say that. It's deep and it's real. Beloved, this is a decisive change. This is a decisive change. You're no longer the same person. No longer this. You're born again. You're born again. This is the new birth. You were literally, the phrase, the term born again, the, the word literally is you were regenerated. You were regenerated. Ooh, that's an awesome word. I was regenerated. Hmm. That just means the new birth. Your nature has been changed from a lawless nature. Your nature has been changed from a loveless, godless, self-seeking nature, beloved, to a repentant, repentant from past rebellion, loving, trusting, hoping, believing nature. Fruitful nature. You now have a nature that has a loving compliance. You now have a nature that has a loving compliance with the law of God. You are eager. You are eager to obey God. Look at what Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verse 14. He says, speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to, here it comes again, and to purify for himself a people who are his very own. Look at that, that last line, eager to do what is good. Oh, I'm eager to love. Are you eager to love? That's what he's talking about, among other things. See, this is the pattern of your new life. It's a pattern. You have a pattern. You're eager now. You're eager to honor God. You're eager to obey God. You're eager to love the brothers. Write this question down. Am I truly eager to love the brothers? Am I truly eager to love the brothers? Good mini church question. Now, how was this new birth affected exactly? How was this new birth affected? Again, verse 23, he says, you have been born again. Born again, he says, your new birth was affected by an imperishable seed. Ooh, an imperishable seed, not an earthly seed, not a human seed, not a perishable seed, but an imperishable seed, a heavenly one, a divine one. God produced that new life. God created that imperishable seed. God created that imperishable seed. God brings life into this world through seeds, doesn't he? Does God use seeds? Absolutely. Absolutely. He uses seeds every place. But the seed of new life in Christ is an imperishable seed. God brings life into this world by seeds, all kinds of seeds, all of life. Everything that grows by seeds, beloved, would you agree, is a creation of God? Absolutely. The fact that God uses seeds doesn't make it any less His creation and doesn't make it any less miraculous. Is that true? I mean, it's a miracle. You put an acorn in the ground, a seed, and a few short later, you have what? An oak tree growing. And you've got to stand in awe of that. But all the seeds in this world die. All the seeds in this world die. They all die, even the human ones. Even the human ones. They are perishable, perishable. But here is one, Peter tells us, here is one that does not die 
It's not a perishable human birth that he's talking about here. Beloved, you were born a human birth. True? David says, I was conceived in sin. We were born of sinful parents. Sinful meaning imperfect. Not necessarily wicked. You were born of a corruptible, perishable seed, and you will die. We'll all die, huh? Unless the Lord comes back. You were born of the flesh. John chapter 3, verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You were born a slave of sin and Satan. Romans chapter 6, verse 17 speaks of slavery to sin. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says, God has rescued us from the domain of darkness, from the very clutches Sure, objects of wrath. That's our physical birth. That's being born of seed that is perishable. Not very exciting, would you agree? Pretty limited, huh? It's that kind of seed that leads to death. But we were born again of seed that is imperishable. You were born of perishable seed, born again of imperishable seed. Your second birth. I'm born again. I'm born a second time. No longer of flesh, but now what? Of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. My parent is God. My father is God. The seed is incorruptible, imperishable. It won't die. It won't decay. It won't fade away. The birth is spiritual. It's of the Spirit. And we are no longer slaves to sin and death and Satan. Hallelujah. But we are born now to be free. Born to be free in Christ. He set us free. I came that you should have life and have it to the full. Jesus said, whoever the Son sets free, they shall be what? Free indeed. I've been born again to be set free from slavery to sin and death and hell. And I no longer am the object of divine wrath. Beloved, I'm the object. You're the object of divine love. Ooh, don't you just love that? God cannot love you. He cannot love you enough. He just keeps pouring His love out on you and I. He just keeps doing it. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Now follow this thought. Stay with me. Because life comes through seeds, makes it no less God's sovereign divine creation. Isn't that true? All right. It's the seed by which he creates. We know that. We just know that from life, from experience. But it is still God who is the creator. Now follow this. The new birth, the spiritual regeneration that Peter is talking about, is also God's work. And God has a means by which he does it. He has a seed by which he affects it. And what is it? What is the seed? What is the seed that is sown that gives this life? The living and enduring Word of God. Look at the verse. Look at verse 23. What's the seed? Imperishable through what? The living and enduring Word of God. The Word lives as God lives. This is so important. Get this. Don't miss this. The Word lives as God lives. It says it's living and enduring. It is as undying as God is undying. Are you with me? Very important. It is the seed that ever lives, and so it is the seed that gives ever-living life. The Word of God is the seed 
that gives ever-living life because it is God's ever-living word. James chapter 1, verse 18, James says this. He says, He chose to give us birth. How? Through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. Through the word of truth. We're saved by the word of God. We're saved by the word of God. The word of God is the seed that gives life. What's the seed that gives life? The word of God. The word of God. That's why it says in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone, what? Preaching to them... And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message. Consequently, faith comes. Now notice, faith comes by hearing what? The message. And the message is heard through the what? Word of Christ. How does faith come? How does one get born again? By the word. By hearing the word, by hearing the word, by receiving the word, by the word being implanted in my life. My life. There must be the word. There must be the truth. That is the imperishable seed whereby God causes us to be born again. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Why? Because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been what? Born of God. You can't live the life you used to live. It's impossible. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 6. Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? No way! Why? Because we died to sin. And we've been raised to live what? A new Life. Beloved, the born-again life will not be a pattern of unbroken sin. The born-again life will not be a pattern of unbroken sin. Why? Because he has the seed of God in him. Which brings what? New life. New life. That seed is the living Enduring word of God within him, the saving truth, the gospel of God, the word, imperishable. And so he says, look, Peter says, look, you've been saved. He says, and the means by which you've been saved is the word of God, which God uses as the seed to affect new life in you. And it's a miracle of God. It's a miracle. This word comes in and affects a miracle and causes us to be born again. And then notice, verse 24, Peter now quotes from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. He leaves out part of verse 7 from Isaiah. And he quotes, by the way, from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. He quotes now from Isaiah. He says, all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Isaiah says that all men are like grass. Grass dies. Perishable. Perishable. And all their glory, like the glory of the flowers, all the glory of men will fall. Will fall like the grass and the flower. Everything that is of this world dies. Everything of the flesh dies, just like the grass. Here today, gone tomorrow. Here today, gone tomorrow. Whether it is common or whether it is spectacular, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Think of the best of men's lives. Think of the best of mankind. Think of the best that this life has to offer. Beauty. Beauty, the most beautiful of human beings, the healthiest, the strongest, the most honored, articulate, the wisest, the most honored, the most profound, the most gifted, the best 
that this life has to offer. And think of the flower of man. His art, his music, his literature, his culture, his education, his architecture, the genius of man, the greatness of man. That's the flower. But it all dies. It all dies, just like the common man. Doesn't matter how great you were. In the grave, prince and pauper alike. They lie side by side, don't they? They lie side by side. Everything of this world, everything of the flesh dies. Generations come and go. And like the leaves of each successive generation, the Bible says they die and they decay. In short, it's all going to burn. It all dies and decays. If some men are momentarily conspicuous, standing out amongst the multitudes, distinguished by their rank, their status, their riches, their education, accomplishments, triumphs, all these are no more abiding than the grass. Here today, gone tomorrow. They'll droop, wither, fade, die, and decay. It's real simple, huh? All men are like the grass. All men, everybody, no one's exempt. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. The dust of Caesar is no more regal than the dust of the beggar. Death is the great equalizer, isn't it? And so, so, so Peter says this. Peter says, you've been born not of that kind of seed. You've been born not of that kind of seed. In Christ you have a new imperishable life and we will never die. Do you believe this? We will never die. Beloved, if you're living your life just for this life, you are a walking tragedy. You got to lift your sights. You got to start living. Your, if you're born again, you got to start living your life for eternal things. Things are going to last because everything here is what? Going to perish. You won't even need as much insurance in this life. <laughs> And it was the same imperishable word of God that was preached to you, he says. It was the same imperishable word of God that was preached to you. What was preached to you? The imperishable word of God. As, as Isaiah says, and God's word endures forever. It's the same word that was preached to you. Same word. So when did we receive the ability to love? At salvation. And whom are we to love? One another, the brethren. And how are we to love? Deeply from the heart, more and more and more. And why are we to love? Because it's consistent with our new nature. It's consistent with our new life. Now, beloved, remember, we still have sin in the flesh, remember? We still have sin in the flesh. And that sin in the flesh still seeks to hinder us from doing what is most consistent to our new nature, right? We understand that. And that is what? Loving, 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 loving. And so Peter commands us, Peter exhorts us that we overcome the sin of the flesh. Paul says, do not let sin reign any longer in your mortal body. Don't let it sit on the throne anymore. And so Peter says much the same thing. And so, beloved, I exhort you as does Peter, love one another. Love one another deeply from your heart. 
It's the truest expression of your new nature. It is the truest expression of your new nature as a Christian. And it is indeed overdue for the church to show the world what genuine love is all about, isn't it? Church is overdue. We need to start loving one another so that people on the outside say, Behold how they love one another. I want in there. I want to be part of that group. They love you there. They love you at Hope Chapel. They love you there. Behold how they love one another. Beloved, we are capable of it. Shall we do it? Shall we love one another? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for the new birth, the new life you've given us. Thank you for the new hope, the living hope, Lord, that we have. Thank you for this marvelous salvation. And thank you, Lord, too, for the capacity to love that you have put into us. And thank you for pouring your love into our hearts that it can be shed abroad. Thank you, Lord. Keep your heads bowed for just a moment or two, if you would. You know, I want to just give an opportunity. There's, there may be some people here this evening. You're, you don't know this kind of love in your life. If the truth be known, you're bound up with anger or bitterness and unforgiveness and all sorts of things. Maybe you call yourself a Christian. But the reality is that you are not loving like we're commanded to love. And tonight you've heard it's a decision. You can decide to love this way. You can decide to live your life forgiving, serving, not self-seeking, not defensive, not fearful, not anxious. But you must become a Christian. So we're going to pray in just a couple of minutes. And there's some of you that you're in a place right now where, where you're just saying, you know, I want this. I want this in my life. I, I want to love and to be loved. Really. I want new life. I don't want to be in, any longer the object of God's wrath. I want to be the object of His love. I don't any longer want to be enslaved to sin. I don't want to just have nothing to look forward to except perishing. I want to have hope. The Bible is very clear. Jesus is the only way. You must be in Christ. That simply believes that you that means that you just believe that He He loves you. He died for you. He paid the price for your sins so that you might be presented pure and spotless, blameless. That you can get into heaven. It's a free offer. God may have been already speaking to your heart and may have brought you here tonight just to hear that message. If that's the case and you're ready to make a decision for Jesus, tonight's the night. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You ought to run to Jesus. You ought to run to Jesus. Some others of you need need to reaffirm your commitment to him, need to reassess your understanding of who you are and what it means to be a Christian. And your life, if the truth be known, is not marked by love. And you need to repent. I want to pray with you also. But before we pray, I just want to know if God has spoken to anybody's hearts and you have, a, you have a really clear understanding and you're willing to make a, a decision tonight, either for Jesus or a serious recommitment to your Christian walk. And if that describes you, then I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Just go, stand, don't, don't wait. You know who you are. If your life is not marked by that kind of love, you, you need to be standing. There's some others of you who are struggling with sin. 
better yet, living in sin, not even struggling with it. Either case, I'm going to ask you to stand. Some of you are living in immorality. You use foul language. You're struggling with drugs or alcohol or cigarettes. You need to be freed from those things. Pornography. Some others of you are sick and need prayer for healing. You stand. Some of you are in a broken or hurting relationship. You stand. We'll wait just another moment. Let God speak to your heart. I don't know what your need is, but if you have need, God is present and He wants to touch lives. But just by you standing, you're saying, God, I I want you to touch me. And you're believing by faith that He will. Anybody else? Just stand now. Okay, church, look up now. Look up, church. I want you to look all around you. See people standing around you. I want you to get out of your chairs. If you're a Christian, I want you to get out of your chairs and go, go lay hands on these people. I want you to ask them their name and ask them what the thing is that they want prayer for. If they want to become a Christian, you pray with them. No Christian sits and no one's leaving. No one leaves, please. Pray for these people. God is here. He honors our prayers. The prayers of the righteous can accomplish much. No one leaving, please. If you're a Christian, you should be praying for somebody. Join one of these groups. Look around. Maybe there's somebody standing around you who wants prayer. Just ask them.
body. Help us. Be 